1: You know, every sermon, we start out with jokes, right? It's kind of my husband's shtick thing is that he he has jokes sent to him from all kinds of places and people. And so, well, okay, so I'm going to do it today. You know, there's a lot of jokes out there about blonde women, right? Okay, my jokes are going to be about you blonde men, all right? So a blonde man sees a letter lying on his front mat and he says, it says on the envelope, do not bend. He spends the next two hours trying to figure out how to pick it up. A blonde man shouts frantically into the phone, my wife is pregnant and her contractions are only two minutes apart. The doctor says, is this her first child? And he responds, no, it's her husband. That's funny. Um, and last but not least, a blonde man's dog goes missing. He, he is absolutely frantic. His wife says, well, why don't you put an ad in the paper? So he does. But two weeks later, that dog is still missing. And his wife says to him, well, what did you put in the paper? And he goes, here, boy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you back there. I appreciate that, too. Um, so our text today, we've been talking about words and words. Um, there's been some really good words that, have been, uh, that we've been talking about, love and power and some different things. Our, today's word is perspective and having the right perspective. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me, we're going to read a story, Acts chapter 12, and this is the entire story. It's verse 1 through 12, so don't nod off on me or anything, all right? A few verses here. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, um, was kept in prison, where am I at? And was sleeping between, oh, and the church earnestly prayed uh, to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries were guarding the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading the city. It opened for them by itself, and he went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When, he, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Jesus, I ask today that you would be with us. Help us to change our perspective on some things in our lives that need some mindset adjustments, and may you be honored in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you smile at somebody as you sit down? So the story begins with Herod. Herod Antipas. This is not the Herod that we think of when we... There was a lot of different Herods. I don't know. It was one of those popular family names, I guess, where everybody gets named the same thing. But he was called... He was Herod Antipas. This was the son of the big mean guy who killed everyone when Jesus was born. Okay, remember that story? Jesus came into you know, into Bethlehem. And because Herod was so jealous and didn't know which baby it was, he just went and murdered everybody ages two years and under in a vicious attack. This is his son. So as we look at this, um, you notice his first person that he was actually the first Herod in over 200 years that actually obeyed the law. So you would think this would bid well for Peter, right? Like, why is he killing James? I mean, this guy actually followed the law. The problem with it is, is that he was following the law and killed James because he thought he was doing God a service. Now later in the book of Acts, um, or earlier actually, Paul did the same thing. He was a good Jewish boy and good Jewish man. He had been raised in the ways of the law and what he ended up doing was in his effort to help Judaism, he actually was killing Christians. Same thing happened to Saul turned into Paul when his life was changed with Jesus. Herod is the same way. He's a good Jewish man trying to uphold the law, and by doing so, by killing the Christians, he's actually gaining favor. As a matter of fact, his political poll went up when he killed the apostle. The first apostle martyr was James. As a matter of fact, he was one of the prominent leaders of the church, and the next one to go down was to be Peter, and Peter was in jail. So he was truly committed to the Jewish way of life. And this brings us to our story. He was surrounded by guards. So this is no like ordinary prisoner. Like you're talking about 16 guards. They must have thought he, he was worth something, right? Um, and if realistically the next day after the trial, Peter would be dead as well. So today our pers- our uh, word for the day is perspective. And a definition is a per. Particular attitude toward a way or of regarding something or a point of view, and our key thought that you're going to hear throughout the entire message is change your perspective and change your life. So the first thing we need to change when um, we're living this life is we need to change our perspective on our situation. So from our text, we can look and see that Peter's perspective had to be pretty dim, right? I mean, he's literally chained to two guards. There's two others standing by with 12 others that are in the vicinity or being rotated in and out. If they lose Peter, they die. And that's exactly what happened. If they lose Peter, this is kind of a life or death prisoner here, okay? So he's very important and he is headed for death. The thing is, is that what do you think Peter's perspective was? I mean... It's a bad situation. We went to Athens, and we toured some of the places that some of these New Testament things happened. These weren't luxury prisons, okay? This was like in a hole with people around you, dirt floor, very, very rough conditions, okay? They didn't even get food. Sometimes their people who were their friends had to bring them food. Peter was not in a good situation, so you would think his his response would be absolutely like this is the worst thing. I'm about to die. But he didn't. As a matter of fact, he was sleeping, sleeping. How in the world could you sleep in such a situation as this? As a matter of fact, but I just wonder sometimes, remember the garden of Gethsemane? They were sleeping then when Jesus was in turmoil too, right? So maybe it was his escape mechanism. I have no idea. I just know if it was me, I would not be sleeping. I don't know about you guys, but so the situation was incredibly dim. So, um, Let's think back last year. December 1st we had a large huge snowstorm, one of one of almost a record breaker. If you remember the conditions of December 1st, pretty bad, pretty bleak situation. As a matter of fact, in Westlake, it dropped 14.3 inches of snow in like a 24-hour period. And it was an absolute mess if you tried to get into your work, if you tr- We couldn't we couldn't get even in here. We had to try and finagle our way and had staff meeting at Panera. It was so bad. And it was that way for a lot of people. They just couldn't keep up. So a little bit later, December 13th, same year, 2020, um, my husband and I were driving down the road and I looked over and I saw this. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now I know it's Ohio weather and I know we do have sudden and, you know, violent changes of weather where, you know, it can be sunny one day and snowing the next, but this was quite drastic of a picture to see as we drove down the road, knowing that we had just had this humongous snowstorm. So I said, look at those flowers. And my husband said, ah, they're fake. (laughs) And I said, I don't know. I don't think. Well, a little later, Um, We actually stopped and got out and my daughter and I, we took this picture because I had to see whether these were fake flowers or did somehow miraculously they survive 14.3 inches of snow plus the snow plows plus everything that was happening uh, not two short weeks earlier. So if you look at this, no matter what you go through in life, no matter what you're under, no matter what you're enduring, God can make something beautiful even if you feel snowed under. So I'm going to show you guys a video. Her name is Dr. Egger. She is a Auschwitz survivor. At the age of 16, she was taken into Auschwitz. She actually survived, obviously, and she turned into a psychologist, and she speaks to people, and she has a lot of words of insight concerning perspective.
0: Even though I was told every day I'm never going to get out of here alive, so today you and I guide people It's not what happens, it's the way you view it. So I use a word that is meaningful to me, that Auschwitz was an opportunity, Mm. for an opportunity, not to recover, but to discover that life is from inside out that if you waited for someone else to make you happy or liberate you, you didn't make it. That I live in a present, I can only touch you now, that guilt is in the past, worry is in the future. So Auschwitz to me was a time when I was guided because when people asked where was God in Auschwitz, I say God was with me and was able to guide me to see hatred
1: as pity. Wow. Talk about a perspective change. She endured all kinds of things in Auschwitz. As a matter of fact, she is the only family member that made it out alive. And as she was being taken, she says the best advice her mother ever gave her at 16 years old was... They can never take what's in your mind. She chose, when she said Auschwitz was an opportunity, who would ever think that? Because she had a perspective change. She, cha- she saw her situation. She knew it was bleak, but she had a perspective change. So if you change your perspective, you will change your life. The second, the second way we need to change our perspective is we need to change our perspective on who is in control. You know, God took Peter out of jail it was God. It was a miraculous intervention that Peter didn't even know what was going on. He did absolutely nothing to, to get out of there. Nobody handed him like a nail file. Nobody did, you know, gave him a, I don't know, a, a, a shovel to dig himself out. No, he did absolutely nothing. He was asleep. And in a miraculous intervention on his behalf, God delivered him. He didn't even know what was happening. So since Herod Antipas was the first King that the first Jewish king that actually truly obeyed God, um, you know he he viewed his Judaism as like a banner thing. Like by tormenting the Christians, I'm winning favor. And um, but what happened was is that it caused the church to be a little scared, wouldn't you? I mean, all of a sudden, two major leaders, two major leaders of the church at the time, one is dead, and the other one is about to be dead where do you think the church was? In a house praying. I mean, I'd be there. I'm going to be honest. You know, I mean, if all these people are getting rounded up and killed and somebody's very happy about doing it, I might be one of the ones that was in the house too, sort of hiding. The door's locked. We're going to find this out in a minute. Okay. So doors locked, they're praying, but where was their perspective as the church? It was in comfort, right? Jesus had given them a very specific command that they were to go into all the world, that they were to do what he was requiring them to do. And guess what? Where they were. They were hanging out in the comfort zone. So God had to make them uncomfortable in order for them to do what he was calling them to do. So our illusion of control is often driven by fear. So why did I pick this passage? What jumped out at me at this passage? I'll tell you what. My son gave a a little bit of a hint earlier. I am a professional worrier. I worry so good that nothing happens that I worry about. But I can keep myself up all night long worrying about those things just to make sure that it doesn't happen. So the thing is, our illusion of control is driven by fear. First John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And we need to change our perspective on who is actually in control. God is in control and he loves us. And when I am acting in fear, not only am I not getting any sleep, I create more problems that God has to clean up. I create problems by saying things I shouldn't, or I create problems by trying to help when I shouldn't, or I say I I care a lot. That's what I say. You know, you, you know, moms, what I'm talking about, right? Every mom in the place is like, we care a lot. It's disguised as worry. So if we trust God, if we trust in God's love, we don't have to fear because we are literally giving up control to God. So we've been doing a little thing around here lately that you know what? I feel like I carry the weight of the world on me. All right, I am holding and I am juggling all these balls, right, moms? Okay, I'm getting the kid to soccer. Oh, not now. They drive themselves, right? But but uh, thank goodness for that. But you, as a mom, you're holding all these things up, and you think and feel that you are responsible for the weight of the world. And I'm here to tell you, you are not. It's easier to live in worry, guilt, and shame than love because love requires acceptance and we have to accept God's love and control. So I own those things. I feel guilty if I don't do something. I feel shame for what I've done. I feel fear, how can I help the situation? And the whole time, God is saying, stop trying to control it all and let me do it and lay it at my feet. So the entire time that you're trying to keep control of things and it's spinning out of control Guess what? God up in heaven is saying, I got you. I got you. Just drop it to me. So if you let it go, I can handle it. So so we have to accept the love of Jesus. Guilt, worry and shame and fear are things that you own. Therefore, you think you can control it. And acceptance is when we believe that God loves you and you give up control in the situation and let God be in control. And I believe there's a technical word for this. Trust. That's the technical word that we're talking about here. Trust. Trust is not easy. Trust is when you say, you got this. Trust is when you put your teenager who hasn't driven behind the wheel and you're saying, okay, and that first day that you release them to go for a drive and you're not in the car and you're not sitting there with your, with your brake. Okay. That is trust. Trust. I am trusting that what they've learned, I'm letting them go. So there's a story that goes something like this, that there was a plane and it was going here and there and it was doing this kind of thing and people were sick all over the place. Two guys sitting next to each other. The one man, he's got his earbuds in, he's listening to music, he's doing just fine, he's reading his book. Calm as a cucumber. Man next to him, he is white as a sheet. He has, he's reaching for the throw-up bag, which is totally gross, but you know what I'm saying. Reaching for the throw-up bag. He is sweating, like profusely. He turns to the man that's calm and he says, how are you so calm? Why are you not afraid? And the man took out his earbud and he said, my son's the pilot. If you know who's flying your plane, you don't have to worry about the turbulence around you. So, tropical storm, you know, we, we went on vacation, um, uh, and there was a tropical storm slash turned into a Category 5 hurricane, <laughs> and we weren't in the hurricane part, but we were in the buildup, okay? We don't watch the news when we go on vacation. It's us, too. We go on vacation to get away from everything like that, so we went down to the beach, and we're walking around, and I'm like, volleyball, yes, and they're taking down the volleyball net, and they're putting the window things over, you know, they're barring everything up and they're telling everybody you can't go to these, anything down here, you got to go up there for the restaurants now. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? So my husband goes down and he says to the guy, he goes, hey, what, what's going on? Because it's a beautiful sunny day out of nowhere, you know? We're like, what is the problem? Why are you guys taking down the volleyball net? And the guy says, uh, we've got a tropical storm coming right at us. And I'm like, wait, This hasn't happened for 20 years in this area, okay? I'm not looking forward to a tropical storm. I don't have that turns into a hurricane. I don't have, I don't know the language. Every time I've ever seen a tropical storm, it's in North Carolina or someplace, and they're all fleeing, right? In their cars, they're moving, they're getting out of the area. We don't have a car. We don't speak the language. What in the world are we going to do? Well, my, you know, my ferometer started going up. And when my ferometer started going up, my husband, who has no fear okay, was like, it's fine. What does it matter? I'm, I'm envisioning a tsunami hitting me, okay? I'm like, we're gonna die, okay? So, in the meantime, I'm like, look at what's headed towards us. Look at this. You know, and he's like, it's fine. That, it's fine. I'm like, okay. So, four in the morning, of course, it hits, because that's when all things bad hit, is four in the morning, okay? And four in the morning, I mean, the wind and the storm, you know, and um. Of course I'm not sleeping as we've previously talked about and uh and I'm like it's really bad people are out of their rooms in the inner parts of the hotel and they're like okay you can hear voices and I'm thinking what is going on he says my husband goes over the window and he goes let me look and I'm like no as I'm in bed and he goes robin robin it's fine the trees aren't sideways yet we're fine And he proceeded to go back to sleep. And I'm like, no, man, no, we're fearing for our life here. Wake up and die with me, you know? <laughs> but perspective is everything. My perspective was one of fear and no trust. And his perspective was, it's okay, the trees are fine, okay? So, perspective. If you change your perspective, you change your life. The third point is, change your perspective on your outcome and response. Now, Peter responded by following and obeying what the angel said. Acts 12.9 says, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was actually happening. He literally was just following, if you will, blindly. He actually thought he was in, you know, la-la land sleep or vision, whatever. But because Peter followed and he obeyed, he was released. So in the book, The Settled Soul, a quote that says, obedience brings joy. And you say, how can you have joy in a world of strife and chaos that I'm in right now? You don't understand what I'm talking about. You don't understand the things that are happening at my workplace, or you don't understand. It's true. Life is filled with strife and chaos. But if you want to be free, you have to follow and be obedient to the leading of the Lord. If we envision the scene in a different way, take two, the angel is trying to wake up Peter, you know, like sort of like how you wake up your kid who's a teenager to go to high school. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. You think he was like that? Or do you think it was more like, hey, Peter, get up, hit him on the toe. Hey, Peter, whack him in the side. It is time to get up, man, let's go. So if Peter hadn't followed the angel out, hadn't listened if he hadn't followed, would he have gotten out of prison? No. So today you're sitting here and you're like, I don't even know what to do. My life is in chaos and strife and I have no clue what to do. I'm going to tell you the first step is follow and listen to the leading of the Lord and what he's telling you to do. So who are you listening to today? Who, who is telling you where to go? Who is guiding your steps? If you listen to the wrong person, they'll lead you down the wrong road. As a matter of fact, Anne Frank was another, um, was another war, war person, war person, war, who wrote a diary in Amsterdam during World War II. She had some very great quotes. She was 16 years old. She did not make it out alive. She was actually captured and killed. And she has this quote that says First we make our choices, then our choices make us. This is one of these things. Parents, grab onto this so good because you can quote this a gazillion times for myself too, not just my kids. First, we make our choices and then our choices make us. You know, but we all do act foolishly sometimes, right? We all make mistakes. We all do stupid things. So a man walked into a convenience store in Wollongong, Australia. He put $20 on the counter and he asked the cashier for change. She proceeded to open the drawer and he followed by robbing her. He said, give me all the money in your drawer. She did. He left without the $20 on the counter, and there was $15 in the register. That was a bad investment on his return, on his bad bad decision. So the key is to learn from our foolish behavior, because you are going to make mistakes. You will. You're going to make mistakes, but you have to learn from them. Without correction, our poor choices can become habits which will negatively shape our character. So it's like a line, it's like, it's like the progression. You make poor choices, the poor choices then become habits and the habits end up destroying us and those around us. Break the habit. So it's never wise to ignore our foolish ways, we need to learn from them. And the freedom that you get from the obedience is going to bring you joy. So we're going to talk, go back to the story now. So Peter has now been released. He is literally literally on the road, and he sort of wakes up from his stupor, realizing, what in the world? How did I get here? Well, the first place he goes, of course, he's standing out on the road. He's a highly wanted criminal. And so he goes to his friend Mary's house, where they, remember, are in hiding, and they are praying for his earnest release. Well, he shows up the door, and he knocks, and this is what happens. Acts 12, 15 through 16. A woman answers the door and she's, and he goes, they said, you're out of your mind. They told her when she kept insisting that it was so they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. Astonished in another passage it says wonder and joy. So the scene, here's Peter let me in, let me in. And they're like, it can't be him. Don't, no, don't let him in. It's an angel or something. They were so in their heads that they didn't even know freedom and joy when they found it, that Peter had been released. So just to recap this point, we have to obey God. It's the absolute key to the point. You have to obey God first and make the right choices. By doing so, your obedience brings freedom, just like Peter And Peter's freedom, then freedom brings joy to everyone around you. So I'm going to show you a a video right now. And we're going to look at some perspective. This video is called the cockeyed squid. If you look, he has two eyes. One facing up and one is facing down. This squid lives in the deep, deep sea. Like dark blue sea, like as far down as you can go. God made this squid. He made this squid to be able to view what's down underneath as well as looking towards the dim, dim, dim light because you know the sun shines through even the darkest of things. So in our lives, God made us to be this way as well. We can realize the situations that we're in and and acknowledge that maybe it's a bad situation. But yet God made, as we have one eye on what's the reality of our situation, we should have one eye that looks up to heaven, that says, God, I do believe the sun shines on this light, and I do believe that you can help me. I just need the right perspective. Just like that squid, God gives you hope. If you're in a pit today, if you're down in the dumps, if you are at the bottom, God himself reaches his hand to you and says, just grab it, just grab it you know, it's Mother's Day and that brings up a lot of emotions. There's a lot of different scenarios here in this, in this auditorium. You've got moms that have lost babies. You've got moms that have lost their moms. You've got women who have never been moms. There's so many different, you've got dads that are trying to be moms because they've, you know, a bad situation. Just remember, whatever your situation is, God has given you the ability to have the perspective to raise one eye up while keeping a hand on one eye down here, and God's not going to leave you all alone in it. Last but not least, whose perspective is most important? The most important perspective of all is God's perspective. If we can have God's perspective on things, our life would be completely different. First off, God loves you. He wants you to be free. He doesn't want you with those chains around you like Peter. He, he's literally wanting and trying to kick you on the side and saying, come on, come with me, just follow me. He wants what's best for you. And that's God's perspective. So I'm going to show a picture of something called perpetual stew. This is a delicacy in Bangkok, Thailand. Okay. Now what this stew is, is that this goes back to medieval times, but this particular batch of stew um, has been around for 45 years. Some of you right now are going, okay. 45 years, this same batch of stew. Because you know that old saying Sometimes leftovers taste better the second day. You know that? Okay. So they go with that and they go ahead and serve it. And people come from all over the world for this delicacy. Because what they do is they leave in the remains some of the stew. And the next day they add some extra stuff to it. And this stew has literally been for sale or giving out food for 45 years. Because what's happened is the spices... The things that have blended together actually taste better, and now it's a delicacy. But you know, God has a right time for you as well. All the things that you've been going through and all the things that you feel like you can't, you're just snowed under, you can't do anything about it. You need a perspective change that God in his mercy makes things beautiful in his time. Ecclesiastes says he makes everything beautiful in his time. Psalm 31 says he makes things beautiful. At the right time, God will provide your needs at the right time, God will deliver you. At the right time, God will rescue you. So whatever you are going through here today, God is there. He's wanting to grab you and he's wanting to poke you in the side and say, come on, follow me. Can you, would you mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes? So today, as I was talking, I know there's people in here that said, I don't, I don't really have the right perspective on my life, on my job, on my family, on anything really. And I'm gonna ask you a very simple question today. If you are in this building and you would like a perspective change in some way, shape or form, you need God himself to come into your situation to rescue you like he did Peter and say, I need help, God. If that is you, will you reach your hand up, just like you've been in the pit, and will you say, that is me, God, that is me. Across this place, there's hands all over. You know why? Because God is poking you in the side saying, I'm here for you, put one eye up. I know your situation's bad, but it's not so bad for me. So Jesus, see the hands that are lifted, come in a miraculous way, Lord, stoop down, grab our hands, and pull us out. Lord, we don't even know how to do it. We don't have control of the situation. It's bad. It's bleak. But yet I know the God who can control it all does. And today, Heavenly Father, I trust you. And I lift my hand up to heaven, and I say, please, I trust you. I give you this situation knowing full well that you are more than capable to take care of it. You've been faithful in the past, you'll be faithful in the future, and you're faithful right now. Jesus, I'm asking that you would come into each of these situations, redeem, restore, renew. I don't know what it's ne- what's needed, Lord, but yet you do. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.